Hebrews chapter 11, verses 6 and 7. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And it is impossible, say impossible, impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family, remember that, from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, same translation. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Is that anybody's declaration in this house this morning? That's what I want to preach to you today, a message I've just simply titled, Me and My Family. One last time today, pray with me and for me. Father, thank you for every precious person in this room right now and those joining us on live stream. Thank you for the worship and the presence of God we've already experienced. Thank you for the lives that have already been changed. But Lord, I believe for the next few moments you have a word to speak to your people. So I ask God that you would anoint these lips of clay, that I would deliver your word, Lord, and that it would come forth in the power and the demonstration of your spirit, that it would go forth effectively, and that, Lord, you would anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what it is that you want to speak to your people today. And we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise because I believe, God, we're going to leave differently than we came to today because we've been in your presence and changed by your word and we'll give you the glory in Jesus name and everybody said amen you may be seated as we've already talked about next week is Mother's Day and I'm sure that our guest speaker will speak uh, be speaking directly to uh, or even about mothers but today I want to talk about the family the whole house and everybody in it see we come to church and we sing about the coming of Jesus and we read about the coming of Jesus and many times we make it joyous and we make it exciting, but then I'm always struck with this feeling of urgency for my lost family and your lost family because the first thing I think about is people that I love. And how many of you in this room today would say that you have somebody that you love that needs help from God? Let me see your hands. Look at that. All over this room, somebody that you love that needs help from God. So when we turn to Revelation and some people say and get real excited and shout when we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, that's not necessarily something that always makes me want to go, yeah, come on, because I immediately begin to hurt and I immediately begin to be frightened sometimes to think about people that I love who need help from God and they haven't received it yet. And I'm burdened that there are some of those people, or some of you maybe even that sit in this room on a weekly basis, and I believe that many of those people are people that you love, that you're praying to be saved, and some of those people are obviously people that I'm concerned about personally. But I want to tell you this morning, I think that it is time. How many people in the room know anything about sports? You know the difference between playing offense and defense. Can I tell you that the church as a whole has been on the defense? defense far too long. We've just been sitting back, only fighting back when we get attacked. Are you with me this morning? Only defending ourselves when something is coming at us, right? 
But I believe that the church has been on the defensive far too long, and it's time that the church becomes on the offense, and we play on the offense. Because you see, God gave us an ultimatum, and he said that if we would preach Jesus, that he, that the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against us. Are you with me? If we would preach Jesus, if we would preach truth, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against us. When you're on the offense, you don't have to worry so much about the defense because they're trying to worry about you. Are you with me this morning? We ought to be in action. We ought to be aggressive. Uh, When you play sports, if you're not aggressive, you're going to get run over or beat up. We ought to be aggressive. We ought to be living in faith and believing, listen to me, that when God makes us a promise in this book, that God will stand true and keep his promise. We ought to believe that. And somebody needs to hear what God is saying today. In our text in Hebrews about Noah, it said, By faith, Noah whom God warned about the things that had never happened before. God basically told Noah, I'm going to destroy everything. And God is saying to us this morning, listen to me, this is not the kind of preaching I know that packs arenas. But God is saying to us, there is coming another day again when everything is going to be destroyed. And because of that, see that's where we are today, we don't sense the urgency. Because we want to put that off and pretend like it's somewhere in the far distance. When we don't know it could be before this service is over today. And Noah, because of that, he was moved with godly fear. He knew that God meant business. God wasn't playing around. Nor should we be playing around. God was not passive about what is going on in this world around us. Did you hear me? Let me say that again. God was not passive about what was going on in this world around us. I opened this book two weeks ago and read a scripture and didn't really add anything to it except gave you some definitions about what the words in the scripture meant. And some of y'all wanted to crawl out of here because you couldn't believe that I had addressed such confrontational things. Can I say it again? We are not supposed to be passive about what's going on in this world. The church is not supposed to hunker down in a corner somewhere because somebody else is somewhere up in a pulpit saying that things that are specifically named in the Word of God that are not okay are okay. God doesn't want the church to be passive, hunkering down in a corner somewhere and shutting up. God wants us to stand on and preach the unadulterated, uncompromising Word of God. If we do not, I'm afraid they're going to die lost. God's not playing church, nor should we be playing church. And so Noah was moved with godly fear, so what did he do? The Bible said he prepared an ark to save his family. When God said destruction was coming, the first thing that Noah thought about was his family. And he said, if I'm going to get anybody ready, I'm going to start with my family. Now listen, if you're like me and you're a daddy in this house this morning, you'll be a daddy for the rest of your life. The people in your house, or if you're a mama, the people in your house might leave that structure. Can I get a witness? But they will never leave your heart. They are my babies. 
They are my family. And if you want to see me sin and ask forgiveness later, you just mess with one of them. How many knows what I'm talking about? They're my family. But the same way we feel that way, we ought to feel it. And I thank God this morning that my children are in church and serving God. I thank God that my boy, when he's here today, but when he's in Louisville, he's in a church most Sunday mornings in Louisville worshiping the Lord. Now, he won't go to any of the church of God's because they all know him and they all want to make him do something in the service. But he found him a good church to go to. But listen, I'm also not naive enough to believe or to think or to fool myself that the enemy can't still somehow trick or trip them up. Are you with me? So we ought to be serving notice on the devil this morning. If you're a mama or if you're a daddy, that you're going to do everything within your power to save your family. Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? They might marry and move or they might just move away. But that doesn't mean that they're not still part of your house. They'll be your house until you die and go to heaven. Now listen, I'm not going to relinquish that responsibility. I'm not going to be passive and back up and get in a corner somewhere and say, well, whatever happens, happens. And this is to some of you who maybe your children are not where they need to be with the Lord. But I'm going to sit back and say, whatever happens, happens. And I hope that they get right with God. No, sir. No, ma'am. As the head of your household, Dad, you ought to be believing in the God who is able to save your family. In the 16th chapter of Acts, we got the story of the Philippian jailer, and many of you know it, but for those that don't, Paul and Silas were in prison. They were locked up, they were in stocks and bonds, and at midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing and began to praise God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly the Bible says there was a great earthquake that came and shook the jail, and everybody's chains fell off, and the doors flew open, and the Philippian jailer was so scared that he was going to lose his prisoners. And because he knew the consequences, if he lost his prisoners, that meant he was going to lose his life. And so he took out his sword and was ready to commit suicide. But Paul spoke up and said, wait a minute, don't do yourself any harm, we are all here. And so the Philippian jailer came out, he brought them out, and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? In other words, he was asking, how can I get right with God? But the next verse takes us here. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Watch this. You and your house. Listen to your pastor this morning. He started out saying, how can I get right with God? But Paul was saying, it's not just about you getting right with God. It's about you and your family. Are you hearing me this morning? There's many of you seated here today that within the last six months or so, you've either been saved or rededicated your life to Jesus, and that's wonderful. But can I tell you, God's not just interested in just you getting right. God wants you and your family. And the jailer's household, even though they might have been asleep and woke up from that earthquake, they might have been in the bed and got woke up from that earthquake. Can I tell you, they had, listen to me, they had no idea that they were on God's mind. They were laying, resting in the bed. They had no idea they were on God's mind. Now listen, Paul goes and he says to them, he says to that jailer, those babies you've got in that house, 
Those teenagers you've got up in there. Maybe even your mother-in-law is living up in there. If that's you, I'm sorry. But Paul was saying that was really common back then. Thank God we're not living back then. Amen. No, I love my mother-in-law. If she's still here, I love her. She's wonderful. If you know her, I love her. Oh, Lord, that was close. But anyway, Paul was saying, I'm not just interested in you. I want your family. You need to be saved, yes, but so does your household. Now, listen, I know that we're all free moral agents, and the responsibility does lie on us to choose. I just read that passage of Scripture for you out of Joshua, and that was the purpose of that. Joshua reminded us that we have to choose. But did you catch something that Joshua said? He didn't just say, as for me. But Joshua said, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Now, listen, there are people who are probably going to say, now listen, God can do a lot of things, but God cannot make somebody serve him, and he won't. The Holy Ghost is a perfect gentleman. He won't make anybody do anything. But here is what I am saying to you. This God that we serve, can God not interrupt the life of my lost loved one and turn them around because I've been fervently calling their name in prayer? Is God not able to do that? He can do anything, right? Isn't that what the Scripture tells us? Listen, folks. If you've not figured it out yet, I want you to know I'm not up here to just stand up here each week and to give you a speech and to encourage you to live better and to serve the Lord better and, and and to do all of those things, but to think that prayer has no authority in it. Listen, yesterday when our Korean brothers and sisters prayed, I didn't know what trio meant. I later learned that trio meant Lord. And when the pastor would stand and call out something for prayer and instruct the people, the interpreter would then interpret what he said. And then the pastor would say, let us call on his name and believe him to do it. And they would all together, they'd go, trio, trio. I mean, they shook this place. Trio. And then it, boom. I mean, they went into praying. They didn't pray like we do. They didn't pray now, Lord. I'm asking you to know. It was When they said trio, 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 the third time, boom, they went into praying, I mean with everything in them. What does Scripture tell us? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man produces great results. Listen, I'm not up here each week to just give you a speech to encourage you to live better and serve the Lord better and do better, but to think that prayer has no authority in it. Or to believe that it doesn't really matter if we pray. See, I believe that if we can call on God with a broken heart and ask God to save somebody that I love, some way, somehow, get their attention before it's too late. Are you trying to tell me that that is out of the bounds and beyond the limits of God's ability? I want to tell you, you've come too late this morning to tell me that prayer cannot touch the heart of God and cause the Holy Spirit to catch somebody, no matter how hard they try to run. There's power in prayer. I've seen it work. I've seen it in action. I come from the old church. I remember when they used to stand up and say, I'm praying for God to put a hook in their jaw. Anybody ever heard that one? That sounds like it hurts. But I've seen it. I've heard them say, I'm praying for the Holy Ghost to arrest them. Anybody ever heard that one? But then I've also heard them pray, say, I'm praying for God to save their soul 
at any cost. And I want to tell you, I've seen that happen too. Be careful what you pray. Sometimes it happens. But can I also tell you, there's worse things in this world than dying. And the number one thing is, is dying without Jesus. And when God saves their soul at any cost, as long as they were saved, we'll see them again in heaven. But be careful when you pray that prayer. But I want to tell you something else I've seen. And I've got to move on. When we were traveling and singing many, many years ago, we sang, she's still a good friend of ours, Pastor Janice Claypool at the Arkham Mercy Church of God in Winchester. They were in the old storefront church at that time, and we were, we were singing guests that night, and we were on the stage singing, and the Spirit of the Lord was moving, and Sister Janice came up, and uh, she was in a storefront. The air, I don't know if she didn't have air, or the air wasn't working or what, but the doors was flung wide open. People packed in there on a Saturday night, and uh, she was just like just a couple doors down from the saloon in Winchester. And she took the pulpit and she said, I, I could see through the windows because the whole back of the church was windows on the sidewalk because uh, it was just a storefront. And I could see this man coming from the saloon direction and he was doing this right here. She stopped and she said, pray church. Then she said, no, I mean pray. Pray in the spirit. And she began to pray. Nobody else knew what was going on. We were standing on the platform, me, Angie, and Val. And I remember looking and seeing. She began to pray in the Holy Ghost. And while she was praying in the Holy Ghost, some of y'all don't know what that is yet, but that's okay. Stick around. You'll find out. But she began to pray in the Holy Ghost. And while she was praying in the Holy Ghost, she began to do this number right here. And while she did that, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I stood on that platform and I watched that guy turn around and face those open doors and start going like this. And as she drew him in, he made it all the way. And then people in the church began to see him stumbling down the aisle. He got to the front of that altar, and he collapsed over on that altar. And they prayed that man through. And I promise you, when he got up, he was not only saved and delivered, he wasn't even intoxicated anymore. The Holy Ghost doesn't took the intoxication from him. I've seen it work. The devil's come too late to tell me there's not power in prayer. I asked Sister Janice about him a while back at a, at a state meeting, at a service, and she said he still attends her church. He never went through rehab. Now listen, I'm a fan of rehab, and this church puts people through rehab who needs it. I'm a firm believer that God uses doctors and psychiatrists and uh, chemical and substance abuse counselors. I believe God uses all of them and we'll put you through it. But I also believe that God can and has the power to instantaneously deliver and set free. And here's what this amounts to, folks. We've got people dying and going to hell. People that we love. Many of y'all raised your hands. Relatives and friends without Jesus that are dying and going to hell. And either we're going to take this book at its word and know that there is a God in heaven who is able to save to the uttermost those who are lost. We're going to believe that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I just want to tell you, if we can't stand on that, and if we can't teach that, and we can't believe that, we might as well pack it up and go to the house. Are you with me? But I believe every single word I'm telling you right now. 
I believe every single word in this book. Pastor, what are you teaching this morning? I'm teaching that there's power in prayer. God had already stirred me this week, but he stirred me yesterday about power in prayer. The Lord said, if you ask anything, say anything. Anything in my name, I will do it. He didn't categorize your request. He didn't say specific things. He said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If God can raise the dead, if God can cause a virgin to conceive, if God can cause a 90-year-old woman to conceive and bear a child, some of y'all think about that. We couldn't pay some of y'all to do that at 60, let alone 90. But you know what? You laughed. When, when that was said to Sarah, you know what she did? The <laughs> Bible said she laughed. She thought it was funny. But you know what Abraham said? Is anything too hard for the Lord? <laughs> is anything too hard for the Lord? I believe that God is able, like his word says, to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. But if we're not fervently praying, we're not working that power. And I thank God that we've seen, and I'm going to wrap this up with an illustration here in just a minute and open these altars. And I thank God that we've seen many people give their hearts to the Lord and rededicate their lives to Jesus. And I've thought so much about that because I really am, you've heard me say it before, I really am concerned that I'm going to do something that's going to mess it up. And get in the way. And I don't, that's the last thing I want to do. But I've also been thinking this week about, and there's several places that are seeing that. I believe revival's here for those that want to reach out and take hold of it. I believe that. In some of our sister churches, we're seeing God do the same things. But I also know that there are some places that are not seeing any salvations, haven't seen any salvations in a long time. And I began to think about this week, and I believe the reason that they're seeing so few salvations, and the reason that their passion for people is diminishing is because they've listened to the devil too long. Listen. Satan does not care how much... Somebody answer, the Lord's calling. <laughs> Satan does not care how much Bible you read. He does not care... How many church services you attend? And now I'm going to bust some Pentecostal bubbles. He don't care how much you shout, dance, and speak in tongues. His number one concern is don't let them get on their knees. Don't let them get in the prayer closet. Don't let them pray the prayer of faith. Because if he can keep you out of your prayer closet and keep you off your knees, he'll keep you from exercising that power that is at work within you. Let me throw this curveball at you. Because I'm setting this up for the illustration I'm about to do. The Apostle Paul was on his way to kill Christians. He was on his way to kill them. That's what he was on his way to do when the Lord interrupted his trip. I just asked you a few minutes ago, do we not believe that the Holy Ghost can interrupt our loved ones and turn them around? The Lord interrupted his trip and Jesus said to him, He is a chosen vessel unto me. He is mine. And from that moment on, he was converted right there on the, on the road to Damascus. He was converted and became the Apostle Paul and immediately started preaching. Now, if that was today, now keep in mind the man was on his way to kill Christians. 
If that was today and I was to announce to you that that happened to somebody yesterday and they were here to preach today, some of y'all would suddenly have a rumbly in your tummy. And you'd be like, I got to go. Because you'd be nervous that they was going to shoot us all up in here or kill us. You would also, let me throw this on you because I preached 845. I have to owe it to you all too. Some way, somehow in this thing down through the years, we've got it figured out that people, after God saves them, people have to prove themselves to us. Don't we? We do. But that didn't happen with the Apostle Paul. He was literally on his way to kill people like you and me. But the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, interrupted his trip, turned him around, changed his life, and used him for his glory. Can I tell you this morning, you don't have a loved one or a friend or a family member that is too far gone that the hand of God cannot turn them around and use them for his glory. So somebody needs to get back in their prayer closet. Somebody needs to hurt again for the people that you love. Not just wish they'd do better. Not just hope things turn out, but realize, listen, we don't have time. Time is running out. It's time for God to move and see the hand of God at work. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them. If you're helping in my illustration, if you've not already gone out, go ahead and get ready. Steve Tuttle, come up here. You're going to be Jesus today. It'll be the first and the last time. No, go right down there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Stand right here in the middle. All you young people like to come up and worship. All of you, come on right here real quick. Move real quick for me. Steve, you just stand here and face them. And I want all of you guys to come gather around him where nobody can get to him. Because I want you all to see this today. Yeah, thank you. All of you all just gather around him where nobody can get to him. I want you to get this today. Jesus was in the house, and the crowd was so large in the house that they couldn't get anybody else in. They couldn't get near him even at the door. Verse 3, four men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on the mat. Now listen, somebody, hear me when I say this this morning, who could not carry himself was carried by four men. Somebody who could not help themselves. I'm talking about... Your lost people today. I'm talking about our lost people around us today. Somebody who could not help himself was being helped by four men. Somebody who could not get to Jesus on their own was brought to Jesus by four men. Now this is going to blow your mind. Watch this. Verse 4. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Now listen to me. God knows when real faith is at work. Let me say that again. God knows when real faith is at work. If they had not have brought him up and said, Oh, that's too many people. They're all around him. We can't get to him. But no, they didn't say that. You know what those men said? Man, we got, instead of four men, two strong men. Look at that. But you know what they said? They said, no. 
See, there was that urgency that we're missing in the church today. Are you with me? They said, no, no. No, there may be too many people. We can't, we, we can't wait. It's, it's now or never. He may die if we don't get him to Jesus. Are you with me? He may die if we don't get him to Jesus. We don't know what's going to happen. Jesus might leave. He might go somewhere else. We may not even be able to touch him. No, sir. While we're this close, we're going to get closer. And so they found a way. I want you to picture this. It was four men and not two carrying a stretcher with a paralyzed man on it, climbing up on the roof. They were sweating. It wasn't an easy thing to do. They had to go up the steps to the roof, climbing up on the roof, knowing some of the crowd down there was going to get upset, knowing that they were disrupting the teaching session of Jesus, knowing that people were going to be like, wait a minute, we did our time, we stood in line to get in here, but the Bible says when they couldn't find a way, they got up on the roof, they began to tear off tiles, and then down underneath, they were looking up, and, and it looked like tiles was coming off, and, and things were being flying out of the ceiling, and all of a sudden, they lowered this man down on the stretcher in front of Jesus. And when Jesus, I want you to look at what the word said in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, it wasn't the paralytic's faith. It wasn't the lost man's faith. It was their faith. When they got the urgency, when they sensed how important it was that we've got to get them to Jesus before it's too late, the Bible said, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. I wish somebody could get what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Thank you, guys. I wish you could understand what I'm trying to help you see today, their faith. It was their faith. Notice something else. He didn't just say, you're well. He said, your sins are forgiven. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. In the name of the Lord. Watch this. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Didn't say heal. Save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. Watch this. And if he has committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. I want you to hear me this morning as they come to the music. He gave them Something they didn't ask for. The sick man, no doubt, had lost his focus and his concern was on his sickness rather than on his soul. He couldn't get to Jesus on his own. He wasn't able to just walk in to where Jesus was. But there was four men who had an urgency that if we don't get him to Jesus, if we don't get him to Jesus, can I tell you this morning, there's some people the Lord has shook me this week about some of them in my family I've been the one sometimes that's been passive 
And I've said, I'll just pray for him from a distance. And hope that it works out. But Friday afternoon, I repented before the Lord. And I said, God, show me what I need to do to get them to Jesus. I don't want to be in a church world. I love the Spirit of God better than anything. I can shout and dance with the best of them. If you've never seen that, hang around a little while. You'll see that too. I don't want to be a part of a church world that always wants to come and get our fix when there's people around us that cannot get to Jesus. And they need somebody that is willing. Somebody that has an urgency. Somebody that says, I don't care what it looks like. Hear me this morning, Mama. Hear me this morning, Daddy. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how grim it may be. I don't care how much the enemy has fought. I'm going to do everything within my power to carry them to the feet of Jesus. Because Jesus can save them and set them free. Do you think this morning that if we love them enough to just spiritually pick them up in our arms and carry them to where Jesus is, do you think that maybe, just maybe, Jesus would look at us and say, because of your faith, because of your faith, because of your faith, their sins are forgiven. There's another passage. It's a different story. Matthew 9, 1 and 2. It says, Jesus climbed into a boat and he went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Watch this. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. And after he said that, he healed his body. He saved him first. Then he healed his body. That's a different story. But the same story I already read to you is recorded again in the book of Luke. And I just want you to see this because I want you to see it's two different authors. But something didn't change. Luke 5, 17 through 20. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up in every village in Galilee and Judea as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. Same story. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some of the tiles, and they lowered the sick man on his mat into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Look at verse 20. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. Same story with a different writer, but we see the same exact words. Folks, I want to tell you this morning, First of all, if it doesn't do any good to pray for people, I've heard people say, I'm, they're making their own choices. They're making their own bed. They can lie in it. I've heard Christian people say that. But if it doesn't do any good to pray for people, then what are we doing here right now? As a matter of fact, how'd you get here yourself? 
Let me say that again. How did you get here yourself? I'll tell you how. Somebody, somewhere, at some time, carried you and laid you at the feet of Jesus. And because of that, Jesus forgave you of your sins. And that's why you're here today.